0: Well, amen. Let me say what an absolute honor and joy it is to be here with you on this 168th homecoming service. Now, I regret that I missed the first 167 of those homecoming services. But what a joy it is to be here with uh, with you, with your pastor, who is a, a great friend, who is a, a proud alumnus of uh, of our seminary, and prayerfully soon a, a PhD student at our, our seminary. I was hoping that I could bring back some official pronouncement that I could declare him to be accepted into our PhD program. But I like that uh, authority. But I am uh, sort of Paul. It's already, but it's not yet, uh, brother. And we look forward to you being back for uh, for, for that. And I do bring greetings from uh, the Southern Baptist. Theological Seminary, whereas your pastor said, I'm privileged to serve as the new dean of the new Billy Graham School of Missions, Evangelism, and Ministry. You might ask, what is that? Well, at Southern Seminary, we have uh, two graduate schools. We have a school of theology. That's what you would expect. Uh, We study in that school, theology, biblical studies, philosophy, ethics, church history. And then as the president told me, we now have a school of everything else, the Billy Graham School, where we cover evangelism, missions, discipleship, leadership, music, worship, uh, associate pastoral ministry, pastoral ministry, church revitalization, church planting, kind of like ragu, it's in there. And uh, we're We're so uh, blessed uh, to have a a tremendous student body, a number of of alumni who are faithfully serving uh, literally here in Louisville and across the nations, and the sun never sets on the influence of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. We're so blessed to be here, and it's a real joy for me to be able to preach here in our city. Uh, I don't get to do this that often. Normally, I'm on the road somewhere. I'm currently interim pastor of a church in Indianapolis, and will be next weekend down in London, Kentucky. I don't get to preach much in Louisville, so this this is a real treat for, uh, for us. We don't live too far from here. So, uh, Pastor, thank you again for the kindness of your invitation, and uh, what a joy it is to stand in—not just your pulpit, but in this historic pulpit. Uh, if, if only pulpits could talk, imagine what they would—what they would say. If you have a copy of the Word of God, either in print or electronic form, take it out and turn with me to the book of Proverbs, chapter number 29. Proverbs, chapter number 29, we will look at one verse together, a familiar verse to many of us, but one that I think is most appropriate for a service like this, where we are both looking backward and prayerfully looking forward. I'm preaching this morning on this subject, Redreaming Our Dream. Redreaming our dream. Proverbs twenty nine, one verse, verse eighteen. If you found Proverbs twenty nine, verse eighteen, let me invite you to stand with me. Let's honor the reading of the Word of God this morning, and let me invite you to follow along in your hearts as I share this word from God's Word. This is Proverbs chapter twenty nine, one verse, verse eighteen. And this morning, I'm reading from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. The Scripture says, "Without revelation, people run wild." But one who listens to instruction will be happy. Let's bow for prayer together this morning, shall we? Father, we have been drawn together into your presence because of everlasting mercy, because of infinite love, because of your marvelous grace that you have so freely showered upon us. And Father, what a joy and privilege it is to gather together in this place of assembly on this Lord's Day to celebrate you, to reflect upon the you have done for 168 years in the life of this great church father we pray for the time of worship now that we know is proclamation and god i pray you would set me free to preach and to teach your word but nothing bind or hinder me from declaring your truth and spirit of god you challenge us convict us and god ultimately change us because truly we will have heard not a word from man but a word from your heart. Help us to know with certainty, with conviction, what it means to have a God-sized dream for our church and for the future you have for us. Blessed in all we pray, and we ask all these things by the Spirit, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and all Jefferson Town Baptist Church said, Amen. Please be seated, and may God richly bless the reading and study of His Word together this morning. And it's great little book to dream again. Church growth uh, expert Robert Dale opens with these words, Growing churches dream dreams. Dying churches solve problems. And what he means by that is it's very easy in the life of the church to become so busy with the routine and, and the maintenance of ministry that we begin to move away from having a dream or a vision of what God wants us to do and we simply get into the routine of just going through the motions of what it means to have and be and do church. We even see this in terms of the language that we often employ when we talk about the things of God. We talk about church. I wonder how many of us, either this morning or at some point this past week, talked about where we go to church or about going to church on Sunday or what it means to go to church. Become nothing more than a calendared activity, nothing more than a Sunday routine, but we lost that sense of anticipation and expectancy about what God desires to do in and through us. These homecoming services are wonderful opportunities because certainly it is right to reflect upon and celebrate the heritage and the history of the working of the Spirit of God in the life of of a church like this. 168 years God has protected and preserved and prospered the Jefferson Town Baptist Church. And it would be most appropriate if we just stopped and had testimony time. In fact, I think many of you probably could share about how this church, these people, this community has shaped or impacted your life. How many of you probably came to the saving knowledge of Christ in the ministry of this church. Many of you probably were strengthened in your walk with Christ because of the influence of this church. It would be wonderful just to Have a time of celebration, just looking backwards and celebrating the history and the heritage and and all that God has done. But if we just look backward, I believe we would be doing something that would be very incomplete. Because as wonderful as the history and the heritage of this church is, I believe God has even more exciting future in store for the church until Jesus comes again. And what has to happen is we need to redream what God would have us do in the life of the church. Do we have a fresh vision, a, a sense of divine direction for what God wants us to do as a church body, as a community, in terms of what the next 168 years might look like in Jesus' series? You know this passage. If you've been in church for a length of time, undoubtedly some preachers preached upon this one verse. and. Frankly, this is one of those verses that has gotten all kinds of uh, handling, shall we say, from uh, preachers and, and teachers. And I want to just walk through this verse this morning very straightforwardly and in good Baptist homiletical fashion, offer you three aspects, three takeaways, three parameters, if you will, for what God desires to do in and through us as we redream the dream God has for His church. Number one. If we're going to redream the dream God has for our church, our dream must be drawn out of the Word of God. Our dream must be drawn out of the Word of God. Verse 18, without revelation, King James, the familiar word vision, people run wild. And many times we hear the old King James vision, we think that vision is something that, that we dream of. you've got to have some kind of vision for what is happening here the HCSB and other modern translations that correctly translate that Hebrew word as revelation because the initiative here in terms of the vision does not lie with us it begins in the very heart of God literally without a prophetic word without a revelation a revelatory word from God people will run wild people literally will go in all kinds of directions people will do what they want to do they will do what seems right in their own eyes The writer here is reminding us of the central role of the word of God in the life of the church. Now, you might be tempted to say... Dr. Greenway, listen, we we, we know this. We're we're Southern Baptists. We're a people of the book. We believe the Bible. We have a remarkable way of stacking up all of the adjectives that we can declare. We believe that the Bible is the inerrant, the inspired, the infallible, the indestructible, the insurpassable, the indescribable word of God. And I would hope there wouldn't be a single person in the church who couldn't say amen to every one of those. And and, and we would affirm that joyfully, gladly. But I've noticed something. Even in Southern Baptist churches. And that is, there are a lot of things that we do that we can't find chapter and verse 4 in the Word of God. And yet, we hold those traditions or opinions or perspectives on a level of authority equal to the Word of God. And you say, well, how do you know that? Well, just try to tamper with or change something. Tenaciously, we, we cling to a particular habit or, or, or behavior. And I would submit to you that while we may have recaptured the inerrancy of the Bible in many of our churches, we recapture it since we believe that the Bible doesn't just contain the Word of God, but that actually is the Word of God. That we believe that this is a book that's been breathed out by God, that is truth without any mixture of error. I'm not sure we have actually won the battle for of the Word of God, or to put it another way, that everything that we do in the church is grounded upon the teachings of the Word of God. And in many cases, much of what we do is because, well, we've always done it that way. Or because that's my opinion, or my preference. And too often at times, we have a remarkable ability to, With the residual depravity that is still within us of elevating our traditions and our preferences to a place of equal authority or in some cases even greater authority than the word of God. And and maybe this is one of those things to where again uh, we need to have our own hearts checked on this because we live in a culture that is so me centric. Self-centric. We, we, we have so much of the Kool-Aid of the self-esteem movement around us that says, listen, you are the greatest thing in the world. If it is to be, it is up to you. Whatever you want, have it your way. And how our opinions and our preferences drive so much what happens in the culture today. That's why we're so obsessed with focus groups, opinion polls, surveys, trying to figure out what people want. We can even succumb to this in the church to where we will be seduced into thinking that the answer is need God, and find what people wanted, give them what they wanted, cater to them. But can I show you that be one of the most dangerous things we can do because the temptation will always be to compromise the word of God and to accommodate the word of God to people's opinions, preferences, and lifestyles instead of calling people to conform their lifestyles to the word of God. This may come as a shock to you. And I say this not to be uh, unkind or condescending, but God really doesn't care about your opinion. I know that's not right, isn't it? I mean, that is so disconcerting, isn't it? God really doesn't care about your opinion. And he doesn't care about my opinion either. What God is first and foremost concerned about is us having his opinion. And the only way we ever get to have his opinion is to immerse ourselves, to submerge ourselves, to deliberately subject ourselves to the ministry and teaching of the Word of God. It's the only way we're to know this because this is the only sure and certain revelation God has given to us. And so one of the best things we can do is to recapture a sense of the sufficiency of the Word of God. Now, that has some practical implications for us. <laughs> Here's what it means. It means we detest everything that we think, that we say, and that we do by the word of God. And if there is a clear, biblical teaching, we need to conform to it. We need to hold fast to it. If there's something that's not a clear biblical teaching, then we need to allow for some room for liberty. You say, what do you mean? Well, I'll give you an example of something that happens in the life of the church that that, that people can get all bent out of shape about. I've noticed in some churches that they like to take up an offering. Have you noticed that? That's important. You know, they say you can't have a Baptist meeting if we don't eat and take up an offering, right? Now, here's a great question. When should we take up the offering in the church? Should we take it up before the message? Should we take it up after the message? Maybe we should pass the plate during the message. I don't know. You know, you won't find a chapter and verse anywhere that says you should take up the offering in the church. It's not in there. But I can tell you of churches that have had an absolute go to pieces. When it might have changed from having it before the sermon to having it after the sermon. And see, one of the dangers is we can so equate our preferences, our opinions, with what God wants and what God thinks that we become so concerned about straightening somebody else out. And what we're trying to do is exercise a form of control over them to get them to think like us rather than all. Us conforming our thoughts and our hearts and our minds to the Word of God. So let me encourage you. But Before you go and try to straighten somebody else out, make sure you've got a chapter and verse to back it up. Make sure you've done your study in the Word of God. Make sure before you want to argue or debate something, make sure that your understanding is drawn from the Word of God. Because in the end, our authority, our standard is the Word of God, not the opinions or traditions of men. In fact, that was what got our Lord in the most trouble, was it not? That He continued to upset the apple carts of the traditions of men. They had elevated to a place of being on equal authority to the Word of God. And if we're not careful, we could be in the same place in the church today. Dreams must be drawn out of the word of God. God always sends us his word through his man, his leader, to guide us. Well, secondly, knowing must be drawn out of the word of God. Secondly, our dreams must require our personal involvement. They will require our personal involvement. The writer writes, without revelation, people run wild. But one who listens to instruction, literally one who keeps the law, one who doesn't just hear, but one who obeys, one who submits to the word. This may be the greatest challenge we face in the church today is obedience and personal involvement, because somehow we've embraced. You know, it's interesting being in the ministry, being a a platform person, I I guess, if you will. Pastor, you have been there as well. It's interesting if you're sitting up here on the platform at times. In some churches I preach in, they've got kind of the little small pews up here that they want the pastor, the guest pastor to sit in. And and oftentimes, I I get to watch the congregation. And, And you've not lived until you've watched congregations. If you think watching people in the mall or the airport is cute... You ought to watch congregations, uh, especially, Brother Cameron, during the song service, the music time. I, I love to just look out over the, the crowd, and I, I find an inordinate number of people during the time we're singing these great songs, "Alas did Did my Savior believe, and they look like this. I said, listen, I'm not here to sing. I don't even like standing. I just want to sit. Hey, we got the professionals here. We'll let the professionals do the worship for us. We'll let the, the pastor preach the word for us. We're just going to sit back and relax. We're going to come for a show. And once the music's done, the preaching's done, man, show's over. And we can go meet the Methodist to lunch. <laughs> God help us as Pastor Joe past away. What we've forgotten is, going back to my opening illustration. Last time I checked, the New Testament doctrine of the church has nothing to do with physical addresses, geography, or construction. It's everything to do with the living people of God. You are the church. I am the church. We are the church. And as wonderful as this sanctuary is, if it were to burn to the ground tomorrow, it would not destroy Jefferson Town Baptist Church because you are the church. I am the church. We are the church. And all of us have a stake in this. All of us have a responsibility and an accountability before God. In terms of my own spiritual growth, my own spiritual development, my own discipleship. All of us have a stake in this. I can't outsource my spiritual growth to somebody else. I have to take responsibility for this. And the way that I do this is through my obedience to the word of God. That requires all of us. But somehow we've embraced this mindset that, that I'm just a spectator. I'm, just, I'm very passive. And somebody else is doing the work for me. And that's why this is just church. And you know what? It's no big deal if I miss church. One of the things he's probably me nuts is a pastor. I pastored for five years in Lexington before being called to the seminary to teach. I'd be at the door. I, we would have a greeting meet time meantime after the service. And I'd stand at the back and... In the good Baptist pastor fashion, agreeable one, thank you for coming. And and occasionally, Pastor, I had people come by and they thought they were trying to bless me, I guess. And they'd come back from service and they'd say, Well, Pastor, we're going to mission next Sunday, we're heading to Gatlinburg. And I just smile and say, That's great, what time are you leaving? Oh, we're leaving at ten o'clock in the morning. Really? Well, why? the church. It's a church. That's not a big deal this church. Because nothing really exciting, nothing really spectacular, nothing really ever happens here. You miss church, you miss church? No big deal. I'm reminded of that great theologian Winnie the Pooh. (laughs) (laughs) Who was asked by Piglet, When you wake up in the morning, Pooh, what's the first thing you say to yourself? Pooh responded, what's for breakfast? What do you say, Piglet? I say, I wonder what's going to happen that'll be exciting today. Pooh nodded thoughtfully. It's the same thing, he said. I wonder how many of us woke up this morning saying, Man, I'm getting together, together with my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. We're going to sing songs of praise and worship to God. We're going to hear the Word of God preached with authority. And maybe, just maybe, somebody's going to come turning from his or her sin and trusting Christ as Savior and Lord. And we're going to see the greatest victory God ever gives in calling sinners to Himself. I wonder how many of us thought that this morning. And I wonder how many of us got up this morning and said, well, it's Sunday. I guess we're going to church today. And it's just church. Oh, actually, this is a good Sunday. They're going to feed us after church. That's even better. But it's still just church. What would happen if we all took ownership for what happens when we gather together? What if we came not just asking, Pastor, what are you going to do to bless me this morning? Music, man, are you going to sing what I like this morning? Instead of treating this like a filling station, we just come up under the pumps to say, fill me up. Get me through. It's your job to do this. What if we all came having lived a life this week that was characterized by personal worship? So when we sing together... We sing out of the overflow of what we've been experiencing all week long. What if we came together having had a time with the Lord every day so we come hungry and desirous to hear a word from Him? What would happen if we all came with a spirit of expectancy, all prayed up and asked the Lord to do something in our midst? If we came desiring not just to hear but to obey. I'm convinced that the greatest challenge in the church today is not that we lack a knowledge of the Word of God or we don't know what to do. We have a hard time simply applying and obeying the Word God has already given to us. Well, thirdly, not must our dream be drawn out of the Word of God and will it require our personal involvement. Thirdly, it can result in great achievement. It can result in great achievement. Without revelation, people run wild, but one who listens to instruction will be happy, literally will walk straight, literally will will accomplish exactly what God would have them to accomplish, the the, the way of success. And one of the things that you notice about the book of Proverbs, if we were to do a comprehensive study, is the book of Proverbs is concerned with what it means to walk in the way and the path of wisdom. In obedience to God and to His Word, that's where real success comes from. It it reminds us again of who really is the Lord of the church, who's building the church, Jesus Himself. In this sense of accomplishment, I'm I'm struck by those words. You remember them, of course, in John chapter 14. You know, of course, the early part of John 14, that great declaration of the exclusivity of the gospel. Thomas, in response to uh, hearing the Lord talk about, I'm going to prepare a place for you, my Father's house for me, dwelling places. And Thomas asks, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How how can we know the way? Jesus says, of course, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we all say, Amen. Jesus is alone our Savior, our rescue, our deliverer. But then it goes on. And Jesus says these words. I'm not sure we've ever fully grasped the significance of them in the church. Verse 12, John 14. I assure you, Jesus says, The one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and he will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. What are the greater works? I believe it is the global impact of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, baptized and empowered by the Spirit, accomplishing the Great Commission and living out the Great Commandment in our time. Jesus, of course, was physically constrained, localized to one place, but the church is everywhere. And literally this sense of accomplishment and achievement is a sense of what Jesus desires to do in and through us. He says could be even greater than what he was doing because of the longevity of our impact, because of our number. You're probably familiar with the D.L. Moody quote. D.L. Moody, the great layman evangelist of the 19th century. The world has yet to see what God can do through a person who is fully surrendered to him. And I desire to be that man. I wonder what would happen if all of us prayed with sincerity that prayer. God, let that be me. Let that be me. I want to be that person who is fully surrendered to you. I, I desire for you to rule and reign in my life in, in such a way. It's where your desires are, are my desires, where your heart is my heart, where your thoughts are my thoughts. That I'm so under the authority and submission to the word of God that, that there's nothing else I can do. Not just going to church, not just going to devotions, But literally accomplishing great things for God. 168 years. That's a long time. And no doubt God has done some incredible things in the life of the Jefferson Town Baptist Church. But what about 2014? And 2015? 2016? What about 2020? What about 2050? And every day, week, month, and year that God gives us until Jesus comes again. My friends, I hope that you share the conviction that I know your pastor and your staff share that the greatest days of Jefferson Town Baptist Church are not going to be back in the 1950s or the 1850s for that matter. But it's today. It's right now. And we have a part and an opportunity to be part of something that God is doing to reach this community, to reach Jefferson Town, Metro Louisville, our commonwealth, our country, and the nations for Jesus Christ. Let's dream a God-sized dream. Let's believe God for a great future for this church. Let's recommit ourselves to being fully surrendered to Him, obeying His Word, being led by His Spirit to fulfill the mission, the vision God has until He takes us home. If we do that, then this date will be a date to remember. It will be the date we've said together as pastor and people, we anticipate, we expect great things and we're going to attempt great things for Him. Will you pray with me? Father, we come before You. And Lord, we are convicted and challenged by Your Word. Lord, it is a tough word. Your word is a hammer and you use it to break down every vestige of pride and self-sufficiency to conform us on the anvil of your truth. But Lord, you are so wonderfully good to us. You have not left us without guidance, without witness. You have a plan and a purpose, I believe, for each and every one of us here. You desire to do incredible things in the life of the Jefferson Town Baptist Church. But Father, it will not happen apart from our obedience, our full surrender to You. And Lord God, I pray that if there is anyone here this morning who has never come to that place of repentance and faith, they've never turned from their sin and trusted You as Savior and Lord, oh God, may today be the day that they experience life change, that they experience a new beginning, real hope. Father God, I pray for believers. And I pray, oh God, that you would strengthen us, help us to turn from ourselves and to trust fully in you. Not just for eternity, but every day. May you continue to bless this pastor, this staff, this team, this church. May you use it to be a lighthouse for the gospel and to advance the sake of your mission beginning right here in J-Town and going to the nations. Blessed in all we pray. In this time of response and commitment, we ask all these things by the Spirit through Jesus Christ our Lord.